Welcome to Slate's Game of Thrones podcast for Slate Plus members only for season, what are we in? 500? Episode 4? I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor and writer at Slate, and I am joined today here in DC's podcast studios by Danielle Hewitt, who is an associate podcast producer at Slate. Hi, Danielle. Hi, good morning. And we are joined from Charlottesville, Virginia, by the fabulous Jack Hamilton, Slate's pop critic. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dan. Hey, Danielle. Uh, This episode, titled The Last of the Starks, was divided into two halves, as far as I could see. The first half was a a half-hour party scene, uh, basically like a frat party at Winterfell, with a lot of hooking up (laughs) and heart-to-hearts and people saying bye because they're leaving because the semester's over. (laughs) Um, And then... After that, a half hour that covered basically like two months in Westeros time, yep. as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. But let's start with the party, the fun stuff. So this party in Game of Thrones lore will forever be known as the party of the Starbucks cup. We don't need to discuss that at length, but I think we all share general uh, dismay that a show that seemingly is so devoted to the care and precision it takes with every episode – Left a fucking Starbucks cup on the table. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I assume heads are rolling at HBO, just like Miss Sunday. Um, <laughs> but I really want to talk about the romantic entanglements that happened at this party. Uh, this seemed like the party seemed to be meant as uh, a kind of way to resolve a whole bunch of interpersonal subplots at once. Um, so first we have... Arya and Gendry. Gendry becomes a lord. Finally, Lord Gendry. He's gifted that by a Daenerys um, as a way of sort of buying his loyalty and undercutting any thought he might have of, of asserting a claim to the throne. And he, flush with his new title, immediately goes and proposes to Arya. At any point, did either of you think, oh, yeah, this is going to go great? Not like Arya would <laughs> ever. Like... <laughs> He as soon as he like started bending, I was like, no, no, oh no, 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 Gendry, please stop! Like I, oh come on! It was like a great romantic comedy scene of like, oh, this is gonna just go terribly from yeah. the beginning, <laughs> so poorly. Yeah. Do you really think he see he thought for a moment it would work? He it, does he fundamentally misunderstand Arya that badly? Well, they didn't really know each other. I mean, they, he hasn't seen her in in years. I mean, that was one of the things that was so. Uh, somewhat jarring about the developments in episode two. I mean, I can't remember when the last time Gendry and Arya uh, crossed paths, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've basically spent one night together or maybe I guess two nights if you count the the whole uh, long night. Um, yeah, but it was, it was completely out of nowhere. And he does, I think, probably fundamentally misunderstand her. You can pack a lot of living into one long night, though, which is, I guess, maybe where he, his assumed closeness with her came from. But yeah, it really seems like... I mean, he has this idea of, I, I guess, what lordly life is like, and it's pretty simple. And his idea about uh, what Arya is like is similarly simple, basic, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's kind of sweet and dumb that like someone finally had sex with Gendry, I guess, and now he's like, <laughs> I guess I love you. We're in love now. <laughs> but also, it seems sort of like fundamentally, it's not particularly medieval, right? I don't think that in medieval times people assumed that you were in love with someone after like one time banging. I, yeah, I, I feel like they kind of shoehorned this relationship into the show. Like no one in this show really has chemistry right. <laughs> with right. the person they're supposed to be with. Like least of all Gendry and Arya, like not supposed to be with, but 
And I just feel like, yeah, he fundamentally misunderstands her as a person. Like, he kind of assumes that, like, Arya is aspire like like any woman would aspire to be a lady of such a house and I mean it's not untrue in the context of Westeros yeah, generally. If, yeah, but if you've known Arya for like 5 minutes, right. you can definitely see that like she, she doesn't want that. That's not the life that she wants. It's not the life she's pursued and it made no sense to me. The good news is this frees up Arya for the one pairing on the show where there is actually chemistry, not romantic chemistry, but just like buddy comedy chemistry, which is the Arya and Hound show is on yes. the road again. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, great to see that. The last we see of her is heading down the King's Road with the Hound. Jack, where are they headed and what are they going to do? Uh, it's a good question. I'm guessing that this is now um, Arya is being set up in position to at least go attempt to murder Cersei, because um, Cersei being sort of the last uh, kind of A-list name on her list. So I'm guessing that she's headed to to King's Landing to to do something or other. I have no idea. I mean, it seems like it would be uh, kind of sloppy storytelling to have her kill both the Night King and Cersei, but I don't know. After the last few episodes, I wouldn't really put anything past this uh, writing room. <laughs> and the Hound's going down to kill his brother, right? Yeah. To kill the Mountain. I think so, yeah. Uh, it seems like we're, I mean, given that the Mountain is Cersei's body man, it seems like we're set up with sort of a, a like a four-way battle between these four, right? With Arya saving the Hound or the Hound saving Arya or both of them getting killed by the Mountain. I don't know. But that like I I will say I'm looking forward to whatever that encounter brings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's my favorite like plot part going forward. Like that, I think that's the part I'm going to enjoy most in the next two episodes. They have two episodes. Two left. whole episodes. Know, yeah. left. Don't worry. It's going to be like six total hours. Um, then we have uh, Jamie and Brienne consummating their sort of long simmering attraction, as we were meant to understand. What would you guys think of that? What do you think of this pairing? At first, it was a really rough blow for the Tormund-Brienne-Stan fandom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, we were right. I, I was validated at the end because, yeah, I never really wanted them to get together. And then the way that that ended just really frustrated me on a uh, lot of levels. Yeah, that that was annoying to me, too. But let, I want to hear what Jack has to say before we get into the ending. What do we think of the beginning? Yeah, I mean, that was even more kind of shoehorned in, I feel like, than the Arya Gendry pairing. I mean, obviously that had been simmering for a long time, but to have them sort of sleep together at the beginning of the episode, you know, during the the frat party, uh, and then suddenly, like, 20 minutes later, he's leaving and she's totally bereft. And, like, it just felt like such a uh, kind of light speed maneuver and... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what we're supposed to make of it. I'm, I'm frankly kind of interested in, in what is going to happen with Jamie. Like, I sort of feel like I've always felt like the thing that would make the most sense is having Jamie be the one who kills Cersei. But uh, it seems like his intentions are kind of foggy, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, foggy you know, was, at best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there was some sort of fan service happening with um, him and Brienne getting together, but it, it honestly, like, just, it, it, it didn't make a ton of sense to me and felt kind of, from a narrative standpoint, just sort of muddled. I will say I really liked that Jamie just can't unbutton his own fucking shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The poor guy. <laughs> He's really... Like, that's how, that his seduction mode is just being was, like, ah, I can't, yeah. I can't, can you help? <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, it was... That was great. Um, And yes, I do not love the, like the reduction of Brienne by the end of the episode to, like, the crying girlfriend being totally. like, don't leave me. Yeah, for your sister. Like, right. I feel like her characterization this entire time has had, she's had so much more, like, 
Like, I just don't see her doing that. Like, yeah. I, I don't what know. What does she fundamentally care? It's like, just, she's she's interested in honor and uh, and heroism. You know, the idea that she suddenly would turn into that person drove me crazy. I mean, On the other hand, they gave Tormund a great ducky and pretty and pink moment where he loses the girl <laughs> And then another hot girl shows up and he's like, me? <laughs> and then they like go off together and the next day he rides back north and that's it. That's it for Tormund. Like yeah. I love that in the sense of it showed me just how fundamentally unseriously they took that character. I, like in no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just there for comic relief. Right. And right. he's great comic relief. I yeah. love him. All right. So a few other things happen in this party, right? Bronn shows up uh, for a very quick negotiation scene. He's very efficient. Like I love that in two minutes – he managed to upgrade from uh, River Run to what High does he Garden. get now? High Garden, yeah. right? So great job, Bron. Like you have definitely he read "Getting the Yes" by William Urey, and he has <laughs> worked on his negotiation skills, and he was great. Uh, and so now, and then he just rides back off into the sunset, I guess, and he'll show up again in episode six, maybe to kill someone, maybe not. No. I kind of think not. And the other thing that happens sort of over the course of this party uh, is that the news of John's origin just keeps sort of filtering out into the world. Someone told someone else. Someone told someone else. Someone posted it on Twitter. uh, Someone's Insta story just sort of drops the name. Um, So now it's starting to be that everyone knows. Do you guys think that, uh, as many have speculated, that what – you know, the the Varys and Tyrion conversation and the encounter between John and his sisters, is this all setting up the notion that John is essentially more electable than Daenerys? Is that what we are creating here? I mean, a little bit, yeah. Like, they're definitely setting up Daenerys to go insane. Like, she's definitely going to be mad queen by the end of this. And, I mean, the point they made is, like, true. Like It's true, yeah. He's a man. People are drawn to him. Mm-hmm. He has a higher claim to the throne. Like, even if he's always like, oh, I don't want to be in power, then all of a sudden, and, like, for no reason, ends up in power. Yeah, like, classic nagging, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're right. But so is this, like, a smart move for the show narratively? Like, does that make the narrative of who's going to assume the throne more interesting to you, Jack? Or does it just seem like a set of of dumb assumptions like that the show is now perpetuating. Um, it feels to me like, uh, it feels almost like trying to do too much at this point. Like, I feel like sort of they're, they're just like fast forwarding the development of all of these characters in this way. I mean, it just seems like if this was a tension that you were going to introduce between all of like this sort of, you know, the fall potential falling out between John and, and Daenerys, like, I feel like it had to have been, Uh, introduced earlier and frankly I mean this is kind of one of the I think problems with the last few episodes is it feels like it feels like the 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 show's writers have sort of misjudged how kind of ultimately intriguing the, the, the kind of positioning over the Iron Throne actually is which I've always felt worked best kind of as a MacGuffin um you know and I I really thought that it was a mistake having the confrontation with the White Walkers be so early in the season and now you have just three episodes or whatever of you know further development over over who's going to rule westeros because now you've got to introduce all these sort of weird wrinkle like suddenly this thing has emerged that danny is unfit to rule or something you know like that she's which hasn't really been well developed except for things like her crucifying the masters uh back in marine or wherever that was um yeah, and now you know this John thing. Um, 
I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel like it's been um, like it's it's been particularly well set up. I'm still sort of hoping that someone that there's kind of a dark horse that emerges because I feel like John, Danny, Cersei is by far the most compelling, but there's no way that they're going to let her let the show end with her uh, on the throne. So I don't know. Are you arguing that in a television show called Game of Thrones, the <laughs> battle for the throne is a MacGuffin? <laughs> I mean, I think the show has worked best that way. Like, I, like I think the best um, parts of the show have been really about the jockeying for it and the the sort of undermining and betrayals and things like that, rather than the question of who's actually going to end up uh, ruling. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm a like maybe it's I'm more fun to term. see the. It's more fun to see like the 25 people, the 25 Democratic primary candidates who all think they have a claim to the throne, all like being disemboweled one by one than it is to actually think about who is going to end up on the throne at the end and then what they what they will do as ruler. Exactly. And it's like and I think the problem, too, is like sort of as you mentioned, you know, to have this sort of secret emerge, uh, you know, it's like the October surprise, I guess you would say, (laughs) of, you know, John's parentage. And then suddenly this episode, it like it just blows up. And by the end of the episode, everyone knows it. And it's a real problem because it like it, it. I feel like it makes it ends up making characters like Sansa seem shallower and, you know, like less three dimensional that she's told this secret. And then in literally the next scene, we see her. She's breaking John's trust and telling Tyrion, which doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. And then Tyrion tells Varys, because when you want a secret to stay secret, (laughs) you tell the spider. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I wish that there had been like a montage of like people like whispering in the, and right, whispering in the court. Oh my gosh, did you hear? He's actually a Targaryen. And then at some point it gets messed up and they're like, I apparently they're brother and sister, or someone else is like, he's actually a dragon? That's, I'm not sure. Uh, or like there's a patter song where everyone sings about what they've learned. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Now, the party's over. Uh, people have taken off. John didn't even pet his direwolf goodbye, and the direwolf is gone. I just feel like they can pay for all of the CGI, but, like, getting an actual wolf is just a bridge too far. Like, I think that's what that's why we don't get him petting the wolf is because they just didn't want to put the wolf next to any actual people and have it interact with them. <laughs> They're giant wolves that don't exist in actual nature. I mean. What are they supposed to do? They had actual wolves like in other seasons. I Shaking just... my damn head, man. They have all this money for special effects, but they couldn't breed a brand new strain of wolves that are say... seven times the size they of actual wolves. They could have done something. Have you ever seen Twilight? <laughs> it's true that they pet the wolves in Twilight. Yeah. Um, All right. So all this has happened, and now we're to the second half of this episode, which I really do believe took place over like a two-month stretch. Yeah. Because you've got to get everyone to the ships. You've got to get get the ships down to Dragonstone or wherever the hell they are, where the ambush happens. Then Euron has to get back to King's Landing. Then they all have to get to King's Landing to stand like outside the the weirdly tiny gate to King's Landing in in an environment that like looks like San Antonio. It doesn't look like winter at all. (laughs) But whatever. Anyways, all this stuff happens. I have a very... Here is my beef with this episode. I know there are a million things to have beef with in this episode. But when they shoot the dragon uh, and the dragon goes down in a cloud of blood, great shot, Mm -hmm. and Daenerys swoops at them but then steers away at the last minute because wisely because a bunch of steel arrows are coming at her. Why does Daenerys not just fly around them to the back 
and then burn all their ships from behind. And then all their ships will be on fire and everyone will be dead. That's what I thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then it did not. (laughs) Why didn't she do that? Because like their big phallic um, crossbows are mounted on the very bow of the ship. And it can't like turn around a lot. And it definitely can't fire backwards. So all she would have to do is just fly around the back of them and burn them up. Yeah. Jack, please explain it to me. Uh, It's pretty inexplicable. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like a... uh, you know, uh, tactical failure on her part. Um, I, I was expecting that to happen as well, that she was going to come back and sort of rain fire on them. Uh, I mean, th- this has always been also like something of a tricky uh, thing for the show is the fact that the dragons do sort of trump everything. And so you need to have, and right. I, I do think they've done generally a pretty good job of, of trying to explain why she can't just constantly use the dragons. You know, like the sort of notion that, uh, it'll it'll sort of undermine her her ability to rule and things like that. But yeah, in that scene, it definitely that that was probably the most egregious instance, especially because we've seen the dragons used basically like the whole like loot train episode. They're kind of used in that exact same way. Um, and she right. burns up ships in another episode too, doesn't she? Isn't there? A, oh yeah, yeah. The dragon has burned up a lot of shit, so totally. I'm sure yes. Yeah. And so I guess the argument of the show is that she was driven so mad by um, one dragon getting iced that she was like, that she couldn't even think in the moment. But like that has not been, Danny's mode has not been, I'm so angry that I can't figure out a way to instantly incur retribution. It's more like, I'm so angry that I'm like thinking more clearly than I ever have. And I'm going to destroy all of you. Right. Right. So that was dumb. Um, All right. But so anyway, she loses a dragon. Uh, Missandei gets captured because. How though? Somehow (laughs) they were aware. They were like, oh, she looks like Daenerys' personal assistant. Yeah, totally. Let's get her. Let's kill everyone else, but let's just grab her. It was also a long range battle. So I don't know. Right. Who? Yeah. Uh, Someone pointed out, I saw that they instantly somehow know that she's been captured rather than just drowned. Like the the people (laughs) on the, like, how do they know? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to assume that there's like a whole episode's worth of just like ravens going back and forth where like King's Landing sends a raven to them that's like, we've got what's her face. And they write back, who? And then another raven's like, uh, the personal assistant with the hair. And then they write back, which one? And then they write back, she says her name is fuck you. And they're like, that's not a real name. And like like that was, yeah. maybe that's how they knew. Right. That's how yeah. they covered these two months that it took them to get all the way down to King's Landing. Um, all right. So they get to King's Landing. They have this face-off. Tyrion's latest Adventure in diplomacy goes as great as all his other adventures in diplomacy. I don't understand how they're like care. Like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> by this point, Tyrion is like supposed to be so smart, and he's like, "My sister is still a good person." Like, how? Literally, how do you think that? Right. I just don't understand. You're not a monster, he says to the monster. Yeah. You're not yeah. a monster. I said. I said to the Cyclops. Yeah. Like. <laughs> It felt like such a mistake to not, I was really expecting that, um, I mean, I don't want to say I was hoping because that sounds terrible, but like, I I, I really thought Cersei was going to just command that they just rain arrows down on him and kill Tyrion. Yeah. Um, Which would have been great. Like his arc feels 
over, you know, and it would have been um, like that would have been kind of a sort of classic ruthless Game of Thrones writing move is to have just this like, you know, the most horrible thing uh, that you can kind of imagine happening, just have it happen. But yeah, I don't really I mean, that whole exchange was just completely weird and didn't really make sense. Uh, and I, 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 when it was happening, I was like, oh, they're doing this because they need an excuse for Tyrion to be up front so that he can be murdered. Um, and then that didn't happen. I just don't super get what they're doing with Tyrion at all this season. Like, in his conversation with Varys, he's, like, he's supposed to be, like, super hyper-logical and, like, super smart. Like, I don't understand why he's still backing Daenerys in any capacity. Uh, I mean, the one idea of Tyrion has always been that he's meant to be moving from a person driven, like, only by cleverness to a person, like, driven by his heart, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that he is coming to open himself up to this idea of goodness in the world, something that he didn't believe in previously. And maybe the idea of the show now is that that, in fact, in the world of Game of Thrones is a fucking stupid thing to do. I don't know. The job of the show for the next two episodes is to make sense of the mess that the show has made of the first four episodes, right? Absolutely. And with yeah. every episode that goes by, we have one fewer episode for the for Game of Thrones to make sense of the mess it has made. And we it becomes clearer to most of us that, in fact, it will not. It will not probably yeah. make sense of the mess that it is making of things. And so it, the job of us as viewers is to essentially come to terms with that, to – to mourn the show that it could have been or to laugh at ourselves for even thinking that the show could have accomplished what is essentially an impossible task or to find our pleasures in the show where we can find them, right? To find our pleasures in Tormund with his big stupid like horn cup spilling beer all over himself or in the fact that during that party scene, whoever was in charge of the extras clearly just told everyone, okay, when the camera's on you, clank your tankard against someone else's tankard. (laughs) And shout! Uh, or that Jamie can't unbutton his shirt. Or that Pod is, like, apparently the sexiest sexophile <laughs> in Westeros. Like, I, at this point, what I'm getting out of the show is just, like, I am enjoying the absurdities of it and, like, the little grace notes that they managed to give us, which are mostly due to the actors being totally delightful, right? And so I feel like if you were looking for the final two episodes of the show to do anything other than maybe give us, like, some memeable moments and some Starbucks coffee cups and some some like good fun and one or two like holy shits I think you are looking at the show for the wrong thing do either of you have any faith that the show could pull it out absolutely not I was in that third party for a very long time like people have been complaining about the writing for a very long time but I was like oh it's fine it's still like a fun show to watch like this episode kind of made me want to tear my hair out because like they constrained themselves to six episodes this season and this episode was definitely the make or break where it was like Mm -hmm. the first three episodes were like maybe setting something up but like this episode kind of confirmed that they really weren't and it's just kind of they're they're it feels like they're just drifting through this season in a weird like just disappointing way and yeah, I, I just got very frustrated with the show in this episode right now. Finally, I was I was I was kind of done after this. I'm gonna finish it. It's two episodes left, but I was just like, there, there's nothing like they're not going to end this in an interesting way. Like I don't know if you can end it in a satisfying way, but at least end it in like in an interesting way. Yeah, I, I was frustrated after this episode. What about you, Jack? 
Yeah, I mean, I I really really love this show as I, as I've written about uh, in Slate, um, and I've uh, I mean when it's been when it's been great, I just think it's been it's been really fantastic, and there's been um, really few television shows that I mean it's 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 so unique in in so many ways in terms of its ambition and imagination, particularly uh, in its its sort of earlier seasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as as it's approached the end, it's just um, yeah, it really feels like they've kind of lost the thread or something. I mean, it just it, or maybe it was always going to be impossible to come up with a satisfying ending. I mean, in a way, I mean, not to compare these two shows because um, I, they're so different in kind and also quality, but like it does kind of remind me a little bit of the fifth season of The Wire, um, Ooh, where no, you know, brutal. like it just was. I mean, the fifth season of The Wire was. It ended up finding its footing in sort of the back half, um, but the the early part of it was just kind of like watching the show where you're like, God, have you guys like, what are you doing? Have you forgotten everything that makes this show great? And it just was like suddenly packed, you know, all of these characters felt that had once been so three dimensional felt one dimensional or two dimensional. Um, there were just all these sort of you know, stupid plot lines introduced and then abandoned and things like that. And that 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 is kind of what this has felt like. Yeah, I mean, this this episode was truly uh, was truly bad. I think it's probably the worst episode of the show that I've ever seen. Um, I always joke about there's a, there's an episode in season five when there's like, which is the season that has so much wheel spinning. And there's this one episode where there's a whole plot line that involves uh Stannis Baratheon and Sir Davos going to the Iron Bank to try to get a loan and they just get rejected. And that's like an entire plot line, <laughs> like a loan application. And I'm like, yeah, that's just like the, the quintessential bad Game of Thrones episode. Uh, but this episode was worse. You know, like it really it, it did. It sort of this was I think you're you guys are right. This was the make or break moment. Um, and it just. Yeah, it broke, you know, and I think one of the problems is th that there's been characters on this show that uh, that have really outlived their interest or, or sort of usefulness. I mean, Tyrion being a perfect example, um, but he's such a he's such a main character that they can't bring him themselves to just sort of end his arc. Um, and he probably should have ended a season or two ago, you know, and so you've got all these people who are kind of kicking around who the show feels like they have to um, involve and it doesn't it, it's it doesn't make sense anymore why they're why they're sort of central um, yeah and it's made it, I think it does make it pretty impossible to end in a satisfactory way I'm very taken by this idea of this as a make or break episode and to use uh, like a basketball analogy right it feels like we're in a seven game series and it's two two. Right. And this is what's supposed to be game five. This is supposed to be the one that makes it clear what the narrative of this entire series is. And in, and instead of playing game five, they just like invited the circus into Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, this is game five. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of it, you have no fucking clue. You have no idea. Like nothing has been resolved or made clear and not in a satisfying story way, but in a way that makes it clear to us as viewers that for the writers, they don't they don't have the solutions. Um, and so as we come to our final question of this uh, podcast episode, which is who is the worst person in Westeros? You're the worst shit in the Seven Kingdoms. There's plenty worse than me. The question is, is it just the writers? <laughs> is it Benioff and Weiss? I don't know. But, uh, but I'll ask each of you in turn, Jack, who is your worst person in Westeros? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a cop-out, but I got to say the writers. And I would say specifically Benioff and Weiss. I've been watching the... Um, <laughs> 
the sort of after the episode things where they this whole season where they've been like explaining their choices and man do they not come off as like the most thoughtful guys (laughs) 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 and uh yeah i mean this episode was just like it was one prolonged it's like it, it just felt like there was so much kind of hallmarks of bad writing and bad bad storytelling and stuff so yeah, I mean that that would that would honestly probably be my answer is is the writing staff, the showrunners. <laughs> Can you give us an example of an extremely bad reason they gave for something they did in this episode? Oh, I actually so I actually didn't watch this one. I was so mad about this episode oh, okay. that I was like, I don't even want to watch <laughs> these guys explain it. Um, but no, it's I, I watched the other, the earlier three episodes. Um, yeah, and it was like it's like when you watch the director's commentary of a movie that you have enjoyed, and then you, you like the director comes off as like just such a kind of moron who like who kind of accidentally made a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of their intentions, um, and uh, I mean, it's not it's not that extreme, but it it does. They don't come off great in those in those things. Partly because it's like they're so self important at this point. I should go back and watch this this one, but I was so um, done by the end of this episode that I didn't stick around for it. Uh, Danielle, who is your worst person in Westeros? Um. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with the writers. I was gonna say Daenerys because she just kind of frustrates me on all levels, but. Yeah, I think the writers just, they really, one for, I'm mad that they killed off Missande. I just, you kill off 50% of your people of color on your show to, like, give Daenerys some emotional, like, thrust. Very annoying. Yeah. And I also just feel like they kind of forgot who they, like, they forgot, like, what the show is, where it's, like, Jack, you were saying, like, they feel like they can't kill off Tyrion because, like, the fan, like, basically fan service. And it's, like, you're Game of Thrones. You don't have to do anything. Like, that's the point of the show where it's, like, like, the point is, like, it's unpredictable and, like, you kill characters off for, like, for the plot. Like, you don't have to deal in fan service. And I feel like that's a little bit what they're doing. And then, yeah, I don't know. The writers. They just really frustrated me this entire episode. I'm going to differ from you a little bit. I'm going to say my worst person in Westeros is... Uh, the whoever didn't see the Starbucks cup. <laughs> um, just a huge unforced error. You had a chance to have, or maybe, or maybe it was genius. Maybe they knew they had a crappy episode mm. that people weren't going to like, and they were like, fuck, we need to have people talking about something else. We need something else to drive the conversation. Let's put a Starbucks cup in one of the episodes. Uh, or maybe episode five will reveal that, in fact, the entire Game of Thrones universe has taken place inside of Starbucks. I've, <laughs> I've seen the uh, – it's actually going to end the same way that Monty Python and the Holy Grail ends. Right. Where it's just like – it just like smash cuts to, to present day. So, right. Totally. Yeah. And all of a sudden the police show up and they're like, put away your swords. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What are you doing carrying a sword around? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all get arrested for murder. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm basically with you. Worst person for me in this episode was, to me, sort of the, not just the writers, but the entire kind of construct of the show and our devotion to it and all the expectations we have placed in it and our, our foolishness. Uh, for doing so. Really, the worst person in Westeros is any human faith in the ability of art to change the world. Wow. Yeah. Bleak. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you for joining me so much uh, on the Game of Thrones podcast for Slate.com. Uh, I'm Dan Coyce. Thank you, Slate Plus listeners, for being members of Slate Plus. We really appreciate everything you do. And I bet this will all turn around in the final two episodes. So come on back and join us. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.